If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the New Testament book of Romans, if you would. We'll be in Romans chapter 4, and we'll begin reading in verse 1 in just a moment. Romans chapter 4 and verse 1. As you probably know, well, no doubt you do know, that Halloween was a few days ago, and everybody knows about Halloween, but what you may not know, may not realize, is that there was also something else on October 31st that was significant, though not as nearly well known, and it is called Reformation Day. Reformation Day. Now, probably nobody, very few of you know about Reformation Day. On October 31st, 1517, a man by the name of Martin Luther, he was a Catholic monk, you probably have heard of, of him, he nailed his 95 theses to the castle church door in Wittenberg, Germany, and in it he critiqued the practices of the Catholic Church at the time, specifically their selling of indulgences. Now, if you, and, and, and the selling of indulgences was supposedly a way to absolve people of sin, and the, the basic idea behind an indulgence was if you had a loved one or a friend who was in purgatory, which is an unbiblical idea in and of itself, but, but they believed that if you had a friend or loved one, somebody that you knew in purgatory, that if you would just give some money to the Catholic Church, that they would, be, they would get kind of like an early release. they get like a get-out-of-jail-free card, and they would go on to heaven a little bit earlier than they would otherwise. And, and the Catholic Church was using this to raise money and, and so forth for some building projects. And Martin Luther rightly identified this as a problem, and he said that's not the way people are made right before God. That's not a way to absolve people of sin. And so he posted his 95 theses on this, on this door, and out of it sprang what we call the Protestant Reformation. Now, um, that's, that's a whole other topic. We'll not get into that right now. But even I, I just want to say that even somebody vaguely familiar with the Bible's teachings knows that this idea of, of indulgences and so forth is not biblical. The only way to be made right with God is through Jesus Christ. And so uh, the, the, the question, the central issue of the Reformation is, how is a person justified before God? And that's what we're going to look at today out of Romans chapter 4. How can a person be made right with God? Now, earlier in the book of Romans, of which we're not going to read the first three chapters, but Paul's been building his argument that all people, it doesn't matter their nationality, Jew or non-Jew, Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter what your nationality is, it doesn't matter where you come from, all are guilty before God. There's none righteous, he says. No, not one. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We all break and violate the commands of God. And we're all on the same footing before God. We, 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 we cannot free ourselves from this condition. But the good news of the gospel is there is a way to be made right with God. We can't do it on our own, but it is a simple way, and that is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody can do that. It doesn't consist of, of good works. It doesn't consist of going on a pilgrimage. It doesn't consist of giving an amount of money to a church. It doesn't consist of keeping the law. It doesn't consist of any of those things. People are justified through faith and faith alone. Romans chapter 3 and verse 28, which, we, which is before our text, Paul says, We maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And so in our text, he's going he's gonna to flesh this out. And there are four truths I want you to see as we work our way through it. But before we get to that part, we need to go ahead and, and read the text. So if you're able to, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's Word. <coughs> we'll pick up in verse 1 in just a moment. Paul says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has nothing to boast about but not before God. For what does the scripture say? 
Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. <coughs> Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Is this blessing then on the circumcised, or on the uncircumcised also? For we say, faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of, of the faith, which he had while uncircumcised. Excuse me. So that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, like I said, there are four things I want you to see. The first is that justification comes through faith. Justification comes through faith. Now, he is writing to a church in the city of Rome, where the Colosseum is, over in in Italy. And this church is made up of both Jew and Gentile, Jew and non-Jew. And so he starts out by talking directly to the Jews. And he says, and, and, and the Jews understand, the Jews believe that keeping the law was important. But not only was it important, they believed it was meritorious, that, that it, it got you in good with God, that, 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 that it, it somehow built things up between you and God. In fact, they believed that their forefather, Abraham, was so righteous and so God-honoring and so obedient to God that he had so much merit that he had extra left over. And so, so during this time that, that Paul's writing, there was a strain of interpretation that Saul... Uh, Genesis chapter 15, which is where it says Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. They read this and they didn't see him as having faith and that being what got him in good with God, that, that he was reckoned as righteous. But rather, they understood that to mean he was not, not that he had faith and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, but he was faithful and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And so there's this emphasis on doing the law, of, of keeping the commandments, and that being the thing that makes you righteous before God. So Paul here, in chapter 4, he addresses their objection before it's even given. And look what he says. He says, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. Now that's pretty self-explanatory, right? If you are made right with God, you can pat yourself on the back. You can, you know, when you're standing at the, at the, at the party and you're drinking punch with somebody and, and you're having a conversation, you say, you know what? Because of me and my efforts, I'm right with God. Go me. You guys should have a banquet for me. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. He can boast about those things. But Paul says he can't do that before God. And so, so follow, the, follow the, the line of thought here. He says, if a person can be made right before God on the basis of works, he has something to boast about. Abraham cannot boast about those things before God. Therefore, Abraham was not justified by works. For, because, look at what it says in verse 3. For, here's the reason, what does the scripture say? He goes back to the ultimate authority. 
Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Notice he doesn't say Abraham worked for God and that, and that was a credit to him as righteousness. He doesn't say that Abraham was obedient to God. He doesn't say Abraham gave an offering to God. He doesn't say, say Abraham believed and did something else, but rather Abraham believed God and it was credited, credited to him as righteousness. Now this crediting him as uh, with righteousness, this justification, was an act of grace on God's part. It's not something that, that Abraham deserved. It was an act of grace and mercy on his part. Now this word credited, or your Bible may, depending on your translation, may say imputed. It may say reckoned. Now when we say reckoned in southwest Missouri, we mean figure. You think, well, I reckon I'll go over here. I'm, I'm, I'm fixing to do that. That's not the way the Bible is using the word reckon here. It's, it's actually an accounting term. And, and the idea is, you think of a ledger book. On one side of, of, of the page, you have a column for debits of outflows. And on the other side of the page, you have a column for assets. And so to, to impute something, to reckon something to somebody, to credit somebody with something, is to take something and assign it to them. Now, that's kind of maybe abstract here. Let, let's bring it down into to daily life. Let's say you go out to eat with your friend, and you're sitting there at, at the at the Western Sizzling, and and the bill comes, and you you pull out your your money, you pull out your credit card, whatever it is, and you go to pay, and your friend reaches in their back pocket to pay, and they don't have enough money, that maybe they forgot their billfold at home. Uh oh, what are you going to do now? Well, if you're a good friend, you'll say, well, it looks like it's time to start washing some dishes, right? Because you're, you're going to needle them while you can. But after that, then you're going to say, you know what? Just just put the bill on my tab. Just, just give me that debit. You let me take care of it. You give me the bill. I'll take care of it. What you've done is you have imputed their debt to you. You've, you, you've taken on what they have onto yourself. Okay, that's this idea of imputation, of, of, of crediting, of, of reckoning here. And so, so what, what Paul is saying is when... Abraham believed God, he was credited with righteousness. He didn't have a righteousness of his own, but rather it was transferred to him. And here's, here's the key. He was treated accordingly. It was a foreign righteousness. It was not a righteousness of his own, but this, this, this righteousness of God came through his faith. That was, the, that was the agency by which he was credited with righteousness. Now it's important to note it was not on the basis of his faith in this way. It was through his faith, but not on the basis of his faith. And what I mean by that, I'm, I'm trying to make a distinction here, and there is a difference. Understand, it's not like God looked at Abraham's trust in him. It's not like God looked at Abraham's belief and said, Wow, I'm so impressed with Abraham's faith that I'm going to credit him with righteousness. It's not like his faith was a meritorious act on its own. But rather, his faith was the channel, was the agency through which he was credited with righteousness, made justified. Now, we see that because what Paul says next, what does he say in the very next verse? He says, the, the, the person who works, their paycheck, their wage, that's not a gift. Have you ever worked for somebody, maybe a company? And whenever you got your paycheck, your boss acted like they were doing you a wild favor because they gave you a paycheck. 
Maybe, that, maybe they didn't act that way exactly, but that's kind of the attitude of the company. Listen, when you get a paycheck at a job, that's not some wild favor they're doing you. That's not some, some gift that they're giving you. That's not an act of grace. That is a wage. And Paul says, when we believe God, when we, do, when we trust God, that righteousness that we're credited with is not something we deserve. It's not a wage that we're given because of this great act that we've done. But rather, it is an act of grace on the part of God. And so, so justification is, is this crediting with righteousness. So justification comes through our faith. The second thing I want you to see uh, quickly is that the justification by faith has always been God's plan. Justification by faith has always been God's plan. Now, we, we see that in the New Testament because the Bible says many times things like we're justified by, by faith apart from works of the law and so forth. But sometimes people, maybe they've grown up in church, but they, they, they look at the Old Testament and they scratch their head and they say, well, I guess that the Old Testament believers somehow had a different way of getting into heaven than New Testament believers do. Now, certainly they had different circumstances than we do. We look back to the cross but they look forward to the cross. So there's a difference in circumstances. But, but understand, God making people right with himself, justifying them, has always been on the basis of faith. We see it way back in Genesis 15. Paul quoted it. We see in the life of Abraham. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, what did he believe? What did he trust God about? Well, in Genesis chapter 15, God's, God's making this promise to him. He says, you're going, to have a, you're going to have an heir. You're going to be the father of many nations. All the nations of the world are going to be blessed through, through, through you and through your seed. And all that promise, this Abrahamic covenant that he made, all that encompasses the coming of Jesus Christ. And he believed that, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Later on in chapter 4, Paul says that we, in our era of history had that same type of faith that Abraham had. Now, because we're at a different point in history, we don't believe the promises about the future Messiah, but we believe that the Messiah has already come. And he died on the cross for the sins of, of, of people. Now, at the end of our text, Paul, Paul says, like I said, that, that, that we're, we, we have the same faith as Abraham. And when that happens, when we, when we put our faith in Christ... A double transaction is made. It, it, a transaction is it's a double, and I, I hate to use this phrase because it's about this long, double imputation. In other words, when we come to faith in Christ, here's what happens. Our sin was transferred to Jesus on the cross. That's one transaction. That's, that's one imputation. Our sin was imputed to him. Jesus didn't have any sin of his own. But he who knew no sin, what? Became sin for us. Our sin was transferred to him on the cross. And when we trust him for salvation, not only is that, does that aspect happen, but also his righteousness is credited to our account. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We come to him and we exchange our tattered rags of 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 self-effort, of, of giving, of good works, and all the rest. And we exchange, in exchange for that, we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's the way it's always been. It's, it, we, we put our faith in 
the Lord. So we see it in the life of Abraham. We also see it in the life of David because if you'll notice it later on in chapter 4, verses, uh, actually verses six, and, and, uh, 6, 7, and 8, we see it in the life of David. David says that the, the, the blessed man, that the happy, the fortunate man is the one that God does not impute, does not credit his sin, but instead he forgives it. Notice he, he doesn't mention keeping the law or, or, or doing works of, of any kind. Justification by faith has always been God's plan of salvation. Third, I want you to see the nature of justification. Look at the way that it looks. Look back at verse 4. First, it means that we are considered righteous before God. We are positionally righteous. We are in a right standing before God. You think about a courtroom. All the, all the demands of the law have been fulfilled in Christ. And that's been applied to our account. So, so as far as the law goes, we are no longer condemned. We are made right before God. And not only are we considered not guilty of, our, of, of those sins, but we are considered righteous. Now that is our position before God. We are righteous before God. But I want to ask you, are you on a daily basis righteous in everything you do? On a daily basis in your interactions with your parents, in your interactions with your kids, in your interactions with your coworkers, when you're standing in line at, at the store and you have some place to be and the person in front of you picked up the one package of whatever it is that doesn't have a, a, a barcode on it, a price, and then they have to have somebody come from the very back of the store to come up and get the thing and then go to get the price check and all the stuff. Are you righteous in all those dealings then when you're making a when you're making a, a business deal are you righteous in all those in all those interactions the answer to those questions is no we are positionally righteous but we are still sinful in the way that we act and so what god does okay we're made right before god that's justification what god does is he works in our hearts to change our wants and our desires so that we become in practice what we already are in position and that's called sanctification. He, he works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. We talked about that a little bit in, in Sunday school. God is at work in us to change us from the inside out. He declares us righteous. But if you'll notice, it goes beyond that in verses 7 and 8. Because David says, he, he, he's quoting Psalm 32 here. Paul quotes this, David writes it. He says, justification means that first we are Forgiven. Look at what it says in verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven. Now what are lawless deeds? Now those, the idea here is those times of open and brazen rebellion. Those times whenever we violate the law of God and we're fine that we've done it. And sometimes even Christians do this. We, we may get into a season of disobedience. We may just, I mean, in, in, its, in its essence, any time that we sin, we are rebelling against God. But there, there's an attitude there in, in this idea of lawless deeds, where it's, it's brazen, it's, it's, it's high-handed. If you've dealt with children, you know what this looks like. Sometimes they are defiant. Sometimes they are stiff-necked. And I mean, we, we identify that in kids, but listen, you, you can identify that in the mirror, too. Because sometimes we rebel. We don't do the things that, that we ought to do. And like I said, sometimes even the Christian does this. But before our salvation, each of us is in a state of rebellion towards God. And David says, and, and again, Paul, Paul follows this, 
that when we are made right with God, he takes those times when we've rebelled against him and we've been okay with it, we've been good with that, we're, we're happy to be in rebellion against God, and he has forgiven those lawless deeds. That's what justification entails. Something else it entails, verse 7, look at the last part of it. He says, our sins are covered. Our sins are covered. Now, sins is a more general term that, 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 that this is talking about those general times that we've offended God in some way. We've, we've missed the mark. We've, we've gone astray. We fall short of the glory of God. And we fail to conform to, to his will in some way. And David says, and, and Paul says, Blessed or happy or fortunate is the person whose sins God has covered. And finally, verse 8, he said, Blessed is the man whose sin God will not take into account. He won't hold it against us. Have you ever been in, a, in a, an argument with maybe your significant other? And you thought that whatever it was that happened in the past was water under the bridge, and all of a sudden they bring it back up? They remind you of whatever it was. Oh, you always say this. You always do that. God doesn't do that. The Bible says that he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. He, he doesn't lay it to our account. And aren't you glad that when you are saved, God doesn't say, you always do this. This is not the first time you've done this. You keep coming to me with this problem. And listen, he doesn't do that. He doesn't lay it to our account. Once it's forgiven, it's done away with. Now I want to pause here and, and tell you that today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, all that can be true of you. All these, all these righteous deeds, all your goodness, all your church attendance, all your, your, your work, all your giving, all your, your, your Bible readings, all your, your, your volunteerism, all the stuff that you do, all the stuff that you're proud of, all the stuff that you want to put, put your faith in, your heritage or anything else. If you trust any of that to save you in any way, you are putting your faith in the wrong thing. It's not Jesus plus those things. It's not those things instead of Jesus. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And, and not only that, if, if, you will, if you'll put your faith in Christ, you'll be, you'll be declared not guilty. You'll be declared righteous before God. Because your sin will be transferred to Christ and His righteousness will be transferred to you. It'll be a foreign righteousness, not, not one that you earn, not one that you deserve. He will cleanse you and wash you, and you'll be forgiven. Now finally, and quickly, I want you to see the participants in justification. The participants in justification. Who is it that is justified on the basis of faith? Look at verses 9 and following. Is this for the circumcised, the Jew, or the uncircumcised, the Gentile as well? Well, Paul points out that, the, that, that Abraham was credited with righteousness well before the sign of circumcision was given. Now, circumcision was like the key thing in the, in the Jewish faith. That was the thing that showed that you were part of the covenant people of God. And they looked at this and they said, well, Abraham was, was righteous because of all this stuff that he did. And Paul, and this is, this is kind of anachronistic, but he's, he's basically saying, hey, look at your chapters in your Bible. And they didn't say that because they didn't have chapters in the Bible. But what he's saying is, when did that happen in the life of Abraham? It happened in Genesis chapter 15. He, in chapter 15, God says, you're righteous because of your faith. And it wasn't until chapter 17, at least 13 years later, and some Jewish commentators put this date like 29 years later, in chapter 17, that's when God says, be circumcised. And so Paul says this, this justification didn't happen by keeping the law. It didn't happen because of all this great stuff he had done. It happened well before that. Therefore, 
this, this being justified on the basis of faith doesn't just apply to the Jew. It also applies to the Gentile. And so it, it doesn't matter what your ethnic origin is. It doesn't matter what your background is. God doesn't have two ways of salvation. He has one way. What does Jesus say? He doesn't say, I am a way, a truth, and a life. No one comes to the Father, or some people come to the Father in a way other than me. He doesn't say that. He says, I'm the way. God has one way of salvation for Jew and Gentile alike, and that is through Jesus Christ alone. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. In the book of Acts chapter 4, what does it say? It says, and there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus and Jesus alone, on the, on, on, through our faith. As we trust in Him, that's the gospel message. You are a sinner. You've fallen short of God's glory. I have too. We transgress God's law. We deviate from His standard. We sin. But the good news of the gospel is God has committed His own love towards us and that yet while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. He doesn't say, you get your life straightened out and then you can be saved. He says, you bring all your baggage, all your brokenness, you, you bring it to me. And I'll take that. I'll save you. I'll forgive those sins. And I'll wash you and cleanse you and make you white as snow. That's the gospel message. The godly for the ungodly. The the sinless for the sinful. The righteous for the wicked. That's what Jesus did. He died on the cross for sinners. And today if you would simply trust in Christ for salvation, you will be saved. The Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10.10 For with the heart... A person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. The Bible says, behold, today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, today. If you are today counting on anyone or anything instead of or alongside Jesus, you're placing your trust in the wrong thing. Jesus and Jesus alone. Now many of you here are are believers Listen, this is, this is a word for us because we need to remember we didn't deserve it. All, all, the, all the goodness that God's given us is not because of this great stuff that we've done. Listen, he's not benefited because we're on his team. It's an act of grace. He has credited us with righteousness that's not our own. And this is a message that we need to share far and wide. There's salvation in no one else other than Christ alone. And that salvation comes through faith in him. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. And in the quiet of this time, with nobody looking around, I just want to ask you just very simply, have you ever put your faith in Christ? Not do you acknowledge that there was an historical man named Jesus that lived over in the Middle East. He was a good moral teacher and said a lot of good things. I'm not talking about that. I mean, do you trust him for your eternal salvation? Have you cast yourself upon his mercy? Or are you counting on other things to hopefully get you to heaven? Are you hoping that you stand before him and God looks at your good works, such as they are, and says, well, that's 
That's just good enough, barely, but that's good enough. Listen, it's not. We sing the old song, walk and wash away my sins. It's not nothing but my best efforts. It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. Christ in Christ alone. Faith in him is what justifies the sinner. Heavenly Father, thank you for this, um, this truth. We thank you that you've not only provided a way, but you've made it so that, that even a child can understand and a child can do it. And it's not based on our, our best effort. It's not based on keeping the law. It's not based on the amount of money. It's not based on any of those things, but it's based on what Jesus has done. And we thank you that as we put our faith in him, that that great transaction is made. And Lord, if there's somebody hearing me today that has never accepted Christ as their Savior, I pray that you would draw them today and let them trust Christ for salvation. For those of us who are believers, Lord, I pray that you'd help us remember that we don't deserve it, that you have graciously chosen to allow us to become your children. We thank you for that and help us not be satisfied with our four no more, but to tell others the good news as well. Lord, we ask that you'd move in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.